2: I'm Helen, and this is the Squiggly Careers Podcast, where each week we share ideas for action and tools to try out that we hope will help you. And it always helps us navigate squiggly careers with a bit more confidence, clarity, and control. All of our episodes are supported with pod sheets, so it's a one-page summary of some of the things that we talk about, lots of ideas for action, some coach-yourself questions to help you to listen and to learn, which is what we really care about. And today, you're not hearing Sarah because I've she's not with me today. Instead, I've got a guest, so I'm gonna be talking to Michael D. Watkins, who is the author of The First 90 Days, a book that I have regularly referred to in the course of my squiggly career. Together in our conversation, we discuss how the first 90 days has changed in work since when he first wrote the book over 20 years ago. We also talk about some of the common transition traps that people fall into when they move from one role to another. We talk about some of the different things that you can do in a job, whether it's your first 90 days in a new job, or maybe you've been in it for quite a while, like what are some of the things we should all be doing quite regularly? and then we talk about if you're starting a new job you're probably also leaving another so what are some of the things that you could be doing to leave well and if you're a manager we also talk about how you can support people in their first 90 days too so there's actually quite a lot packed into about a 20 minute conversation I'd love to know what you think you can always get in touch with us on social media there is our Instagram page at amazingif there's also our LinkedIn page which you can find at amazingif or you can just email us we're Helen and Sarah at squigglycareers.com but now Let's get on with the conversation. Hi, Michael, and welcome to the Squiggly Craze podcast.
0: Thank you, Helen. Great to be here.
2: I'm very excited. I was reflecting on your book and feeling like it was one of the most useful, useful books on my bookshelf. And we love useful, so that kind of feels quite meaningful, meaningful things for us. But... When I was looking back at my original copy, so this is the new copy, this is the new 10th anniversary edition, my original copy has got pages turned and pen marks all over it. And I've had that for quite a while, but I think you wrote the very first one in 2003, right?
0: Well, so before I I say that, I I should tell you, I've been tempted sometimes to run a competition for the most beat up copy of the first 90 days, right? It (gasps) sounds like you've got a contender, right? So if I do, it, I'll definitely let you know. So yeah, the the book was written originally in 2003. Really briefly, it came out of a previous piece of work I did with a colleague called Right From the Start, which was published way back in 1999. And I tell people I was in my late teens at the time Uh when I was uh, doing this. And then I was doing a whole lot of work with Johnson & Johnson, building programs for them to help new leaders successfully take their roles, right? And it was really out of doing all that work globally with these wonderful leaders that I sort of distilled the tools and the, the techniques that became the first edition of the first 90 days. And then, of course, as you mentioned, the second edition, 2012, and I'm actually hard at work on the third edition because, of course, a lot has changed right? since, since 2012, just, just a little, right? You know, just like a little. Global pandemics, but... virtual work, you know, a few little bits and pieces like that.
2: So maybe let's dive into that if it's not giving too much of a sneak peek into into the next edition. What do you think has changed about the first 90 days from when you first wrote the book to where we are now with what people are experiencing at work?
0: Sure. So I think there's a few things I would point to. Right. I mean, I I joke these days that it's not the first 90 days. It's the first 90 minutes. (laughs) In Some cases, the first 90 seconds. Right. But I think one of the things is just the, the rapidity of change and transition has just accelerated over time. And today I think it's probably greater than it's ever been. And, and then of course you add the turmoil that we're experiencing you know, on every dimension possible these days, I think. And so it, it, it makes transitions much more relevant, even more relevant than they were when I wrote the book originally. So that speeding up is certainly a certainly part of it. The nature of work has changed a great deal generationally and otherwise you know organizations are far flatter expectations are far higher you know methodologies of work whether it's agile you know or hybrid work have really changed the way things have to happen and and they've changed the way that you need to transition into new roles and then I think transformation has become sort of front and center I think for every leader I mean I basically tell my my Classes, my participants in the program I teach at IMD, the Senior Executive Program. That today every every leader is a transformational leader. Uh, no one's being told that everything's fine. You know, just just take your time. You know, it's all going to be okay. You know, uh, that's not what's happening these days. And so I think it's a, it's a combination of forces like that. At the same time, I think a lot of the basic principles are just flow from you know humanity and leadership and. You know, we've had leadership transitions, you know, from the the dawn of the species, right? And so there's certain things I think that remain very solid from a kind of principles point of view. And I'll give you a simple example, which is getting early wins, right? The notion that you build credibility early by taking some actions, by connecting with people initially, right, by demonstrating you're credible, but then by having an impact on the organization that really begin to create momentum. And if you don't create momentum, or even worse, you create anti-momentum, <laughs> you know, you're in desperate trouble, right? So it's kind of this, yes, things have changed, technology, work, transformation, speed, but there's also things that I think remain very consistent and solid uh, over time.
2: And I think sort of reflecting on my own experience, when I when I first got your book, I would have been in, I don't know which organization, it might've been EON or something like that. So large organization. And I remember the onboarding process at that time it sort of felt a bit more supported so yes it was about me and my career but there was a little bit more sort of around me whereas more recently when I started in big companies because everything is changing so fast and everyone's working in a different way it's sort of been a you're here great get started and some of the luxury of 90 days from what the company provides I don't feel was there as much as it was in my early career which is why I think your book actually becomes more important in today's context because it's more relevant for you to take control of it.
0: No, so I, so I agree with you, right? And I think that there's both the speed and, and turbulence going on. There's also that companies don't really have the same kind of social contract with their employees that they used to, right? You're assuming your employees are only going to stay a relatively short period of time. Why would you invest a lot in them, right? And, and that's true not just for onboarding, but more generally for developing people, right? So I think it's, it's a product of some of those, those forces that we're seeing. I um, you know, still believe onboarding is very important. There really wasn't such a thing as onboarding when I started working in transitions, right? I'm not saying I created onboarding, but I certainly made a, a contribution to it. Today we're dealing with, as you said, different things, like how do we onboard people virtually into new organizations and how that's different. And I actually just had an article come on a couple of days ago about that very topic, so.
2: One of the things that really resonated with me in the book is uh the transition traps and not just because i like alliteration which i do but i think because i identified with quite a few of them there was one in particular like the action imperative like i'm here what can i do because if i do stuff then it looks like i'm doing a good job and you know like that sort of trying to do before you learn what needs to do and how to do around here and i wondered whether you could share with us some common pitfalls that you see people making in that first 90 day period
0: yeah, I, I sometimes joke that people treat this like it's a checklist of prior experience. Like, oh yeah, I fell into that one there. Ooh, that one really hurt, you know, kind of <laughs> thing, right? um, So, I, so I've, I've boiled it down a little bit more for the, the next edition of the book, Helen, into sort of, I think, four big traps, right? Number one, and I see it unfortunately happen all the time, which is sticking with what you know, right? Thinking you're gonna be successful in your new role, doing the same things you did in previous roles, and this sort of you know connects to uh, Marshall Goldsmith's book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And the reality is that in most cases, you've got to embrace new possibilities, new imperatives when you take a role. Second one is the one you mentioned, which is really an important one. That pressure you feel early on to take action, to show people that you're, you, you know, they made the right decision in hiring or promoting you. So you try too hard, you try too early. And that's the one, as you know, that I call the action imperative. And then the third is just not focusing on learning the right things, right? Focusing too much on the technical learning I describe it and not enough on the politics and culture of the organization, particularly dangerous when you're um, you know, when you're joining a new organization. And the fourth one, and this, you know, I think is less the case than it used to be because organizations are flatter, but not building pure relationships early enough, right? Focusing too much on the vertical as it were, and not enough on the horizontal. So you know, I used to have seven. Then I had five. Now I have four. I'd like to believe that you know, distillation and precision are informing all this.
2: In in year thirty, there'll be three. I thought the um, relationship one was really interesting as well. Again, you you read into a book what you what resonates with you, doesn't it? But I think that often I can see that sort of supporting my team and connecting with my manager taking precedence around quite a lot of the other enabling relationships in in the other functions and the time. Without thinking about it, the time it directly goes to my team. But when I'm more conscious, I build that bigger community in the company. And I think the book for me just raises a lot of consciousness. I also have so many memories of reading your book on a beach. Like weirdly, I think before I would start a new job, I would often have a holiday. You know, it's always a good time isn't it, to have a, have a holiday before you start a new job. So your, your book would often be beach reading. And I remember going through some of that stuff in advance before I started the first 90 days and having that in my mind.
0: Well, and and, you know, it's interesting to connect to sort of current developments too, Helen, right, which is, you know, the fact that so many people are now working virtually or hybrid, remotely or hybrid, it actually makes building those lateral relationships even harder. Mm. And you've got to be even more kind of purposeful in doing it, right, because you don't naturally just run into people or connect with them other than perhaps informal team meetings that you're in. So, you know, being even more disciplined in, in doing that work of connecting out laterally into key stakeholders is just really essential.
2: And so on a recent reread, I am, how many years am I into my job now? So I'm kind of co-founder of Amazing If and officially the CEO, though sometimes I wonder what that actually means. But I've been doing this now full time for about four years. And I was rereading, so definitely not in definitely not in the first 90 days. But I was rereading your book thinking, well, yes, it is lots of this is very relevant for the first 90 days, but actually lots of this is very relevant for me right now. And I wondered in terms of the activities and exercises that you recommend in the book, are there any that you think people should do repeatedly, regardless of like whether in your first 90 days or, you know, the first nine months or even beyond that?
0: Well, it's interesting you say that because I do see folks kind of picking it up almost like a a methodology they use on an ongoing basis, right? Every 90 days, you know. Pick up certain pieces of it. I think it connects to with some of the work that's happened out of agile, with sprints, right? So you can think about each ninety days of your work as a, as a kind of a sprint, right? And I think uh, you know the logic of, of of this is kind of you know diagnose the situation, learn and connect, define your plan, right? So diagnose, you know, define, deliver, right? Is kind of the logic of the cycle, and that's that's something you can apply on an ongoing basis, right? I think there's real value in sort of organizing yourself in a cyclical way. Now, obviously there's always disruptions and things you need to connect with. So no, absolutely you can do that. And I'm actually seeing more organizations sort of approach transformation in a similar cyclical way, right? It's not something we do periodically. I mean, we used to talk about unfreezing organizations and transforming them and freezing them again. I mean, wow, you know, we would never use language like that today, right? It's a much more continual process. And if you embrace that idea, then you think about, well, it's an ongoing cycle of, of transformation. So maybe there's an opportunity for the next 90 days. Yeah. Be the approach for sure. Selling a little or a lot.
1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: I think one of the things that myself and Sarah learned when we started our business was we focused on the individual. So we were all about helping individuals to develop the squiggly skills and then honestly about 18 months 2 years into it so it wasn't it wasn't an immediate discovery these people would come back to us and they would say, I loved your course, learned a lot from it, but I had a bit of an issue when I had a career conversation with my manager because they didn't know how to talk to me about my confidence gremlins or my career possibilities. And so we, you really need to support managers in sync with individuals. And we were like, oh, yeah, we, we, if we want to change career cultures, we probably need to get both of those things. And so thankfully, we have now done that, and that's what we work on quite a lot. But I did wonder from your perspective, What you thought managers should be doing to support people in their first 90 days if individuals are taking all of this ownership.
0: Yeah, it's it's really interesting you say that because when I wrote the, the second edition, I have a chapter on the end at the end, which I think I swear no one ever gets to a reads, right? Called Organizational Implications, right? Accelerating everybody. And the basic logic is exactly what you said, right? I mean, I'm a huge believer that there is power in having common frameworks, common languages, common toolkits for organizations, right? Because it becomes part of the ongoing conversation that you can have. And certainly that's, we went through a similar evolution of kind of focusing on individual leaders, taking new roles. But, you know, my consulting company basically now works with organizations to institutionalize the first 90 days as a common framework language toolkit. And once you do that, you begin to get these sort of synergies of being able to have conversations using that language And I, you know, the way I describe it too, is that if you can accelerate everyone's transition by 10% in an organization, that's an enormous amount of value creation that goes on. So my experience is very much track what you've experienced.
2: And so if I was a manager, I've actually, we're recruiting at the moment, uh, so we've got a couple of people joining the team, which I'm really excited about. If you were to tell me sort of one or two things, we're going to tease out that last chapter, that I could be doing to help them in their first 90 days, be at their best, and then beyond those 90 days, can you give me your words of wisdom? Also for people listening, but mainly for me.
0: Sure. So so I think there's a few things I'd point to, right? First of all, you want to welcome your new people, right? You want them to feel as quickly as possible, that you care, that you're connecting Those early interactions are their first taste of you as an organization, right? And so they, they need to be welcoming at a fundamental level. And then the foundations of successful transitions, I think are learning and connecting. And there's lots you can do to help both of those processes. You can help someone get up the learning curve even before they're formally in the role or on the job. There's a lot you can do to help them connect, right? So, and it can be as simple as here are the 10 people you need to talk to and here's why, right? Yeah. And send a little note to each one of them, you know, Helen's joining the organization, you know, here's her, here's her role, you know, here, here's some ways you might be able to help her, right? Just really simple stuff like that can really you know help accelerate the transition of someone joining the organization. And you have a big stake in in making that happen, right? I mean, the, the faster they get up to speed and become fully productive, the better off you are. It's never occurred to me why, why that isn't like, Blindingly obvious to people, right? But, you know, people are busy, right? And so the notion of investing in onboarding someone, you know, is not, it's not obvious that that's the way you're going to spend your time, even though the payoff is potentially huge. I guess welcoming them into the team, right? Helping them connect with the team is a key piece. Being crystal clear about expectations early and where they might be able to get some really wins would be valuable. Coaching them a bit as they come in. So it very much mirrors the structure of the first many days, but it's more how you help someone else do that work, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, it does. I've kind of, I've taken away sort of the team connections, maybe introductions outside of the team that might be not so obvious and easy without me making that happen for them. And then really focusing on those early wins for them uh, to give them, I guess, a sense of achievement as well so that they're not doing action for action's sake, but it's action
0: that's in support. They're building their confidence. I, I mm. like the, the gremlins, by the way and passing and confidence graduates and yeah no no so helping people get a sense that they're contributing connecting you know people want to feel confident they want to feel like they're achieving things right and the more you can do to help that process I think the better.
2: So I was thinking that when you start a new role so you're in your first 90 days you'll have left another one and uh, we had a podcast a while ago on like how to leave well and I wondered if you had any advice for If you're starting a new role, you're also leaving another one. So, what are some of the really great things that we should look to do as we're leaving, as well as sort of starting those first 90 days in a new role?
0: Yeah. So, it's funny you say this because actually, some colleagues and I co authored an HB article, you know, early part of the year, I guess it was, about how to quit when you're leaving a team, right? Which is exactly about this, right? And it kind of flows from the observation I think you just made, which is, it's important for a variety of reasons to wrap things up and depart part well. Part of it's just, your, I think, your responsibility to help your you know, team and the next leader be positioned for success. And part of it's frankly about your reputation, right? And not closing doors that you don't wanna close. And I mean, so much just obvious, right? Don't leave things undone that you it's best for you to be doing, right? Don't leave to your successor, you know, hard choices that you should be making right but at the same time don't make choices that your successors should be making again pretty similar principles help them up the learning curve right help your your team deal with the reality of transition and what's going on i mean it's not none of this is rocket science obviously right but it's surprising always how few people do a good job of it and personally i think too that's because organizations don't help when they kind of expect you to continue to do one job you know completely wrapping it up, overlapping with doing the new one, and then that, that kind of you know doesn't do justice to the job you're coming out of, and it doesn't really help you focus on the job you're going into, and I'm hugely not a fan of, of that happening, but it does happen
2: i always find it useful you know we talk about sort of quick wins when you start roles almost like closing wins so because you know towards the end of your role you're sort of hopefully handing over some of your responsibilities and maybe you've got a slightly different perspective and headspace maybe a bit more time in your diary because you don't need to dragged into every meeting and i think that's a really nice time that you can find a few closing wins that you could just a few things that you could do like templates or documents or you know run a meeting but it's a very different agenda and i think it helps other people to go like wow they're really good and uh, so they're going to more likely to recommend you in the future and you're probably going to meet them again in your squiggly career but it also makes you feel good so that you go into your next role not feeling a bit flat about what you've left but be feeling really brilliant about what you bring and i just think it's so important for them and for you to leave well
0: 100% agree with you right and yeah no i mean part of it is just for you you know i your I money coach people more on kind of long-term career bases, right? You know, legacy is important, right? What do you want your legacy to have been from this particular period of time in your life, right? And how are you making sure you're kind of cementing that set of accomplishments? It's really important. And it helps you, as I think you just said, to kind of make then the move, the positive move forward, right?
2: And We often talk about when you're looking at opportunities as well, sort of working your weak ties. So there'll be points of time in your career when you want to go back to some of those people and ask them for an intro or their advice. And that is so much easier to do when you've left a job well.
0: Look, you know, people have long memories about these things. Right. And if you burn bridges on your way out or very obviously, you know, not help support the organization going through a big transition that's not going to be someone you're going to go back to or a group of people you're going to go back to later on. hundred percent agree with you.
2: So my final question, uh, and we ask all of our kind of experts that come onto the podcast, this is your best piece of career advice. And it can be something that someone has gifted to you or something that you have just sort of found useful for yourself over your career.
0: Yep. When I talk to people about this, I talk about you know, starting where you are and looking forward, but also looking forward and working backward. And what I mean by that is, when I do this kind of work, right, I I try to define a, a specific period of time, an era of time, two, three years, whatever it is, and say two questions, right? What do you want to be true about what you've accomplished at the end of that period? And what do you want to be possible as a result of what you've done during that period, right? And so because there's a tendency to say, okay, I'm here, I want to, you know, I kind of want to go there, is also highly valuable to say, once I'm there, right, what do I want to be true? What do I want to be possible? And working both ends of that equation, I think is really quite, quite helpful.
2: I love that. Sometimes we ask people, what do you want to be true in 12 months time that isn't true today? But I feel that that and what will be possible because of it is a really important build that helps you go beyond that 12 month point.
0: Well, because it also focuses you on what are the options you want to create, the possibilities you want to explore, or the competencies you want to build that may then prepare you for that next era, right, in your career.
2: Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing it. And thank you for spending your time with us. As I said, massive fan of your book. And I know that lots of other people are going to be listening and going to go out and look at it as well. So maybe they can I think I'll get it now and then get the updated, the updated edition very soon as well. We're going to run a competition so people are able to get hold of a copy as well. But thank you very much for your time, Michael.
0: Thank you. Hal. Great to talk.
2: thank you so much for listening I hope you picked up a few tips and tactics and good luck if you're about to start your first 90 days in a new job good luck it always feels a bit hard and sometimes I think it's a bit of a trigger for confidence gremlins so it might be worth looking at the free ebook we've got on how to cage your confidence gremlins which is on our website if you just go to amazingif.com on the top it'll say learn with us the top toolbar and then you'll find loads of free career resources such as the how to cage your confidence Gremlin ebook there's the A to Z of squiggly careers there's the Poly book we created which has got over 100 pod sheets in it there's loads everybody loads and loads of free resources but I think the confidence one in particular could be a good one if you're about to start a new role so you can start with brilliant levels of self-belief so thank you so much for listening we're back with another episode next week